presentation of the Podfathers, this time about the Assumption of Our Lady, with Father John Rizzo. Father John began by explaining the origins of the Feast of the Assumption. So yes, this was known as the, the Dormition of Our Lady, the Sleep of Our Lady, and the reason for that is it is commonly believed by quite a few theologians that when it came to the Assumption, the occasion when Our Lady rose body and soul into heaven, that many people were of the opinion that she fell asleep. She did not die. Now that's actually a bit of what we might call speculative theology. When it came to Our Lady rising body and soul into heaven, she did not do so by her own power. Okay? She did so by the power of God, by the power of Christ himself. So obviously because Our Lady is not divine, purely human, yet nonetheless human nature's solitary boast, as in the words of St. Bernard. So it's some theologians believe that Our Lady fell asleep and then was raised by God, body and soul. And why asleep and not death? Because, as we read in one of the epistles of St. Paul, that death is a consequence of sin. So since Our Lady knew no sin, she was conceived without any original sin, hence the Immaculate Conception. And since she never committed any actual sin, then theologians would believe on that side of the coin, so to speak, that Our Lady fell asleep. Other theologians say on the other side of the coin that Our Lady, in order, in order to imitate her son, died as well. So Our Lord died on the cross. Theologians say it was only fitting that Our Lady, being co-redemptrix, would also undergo the pains of death. Yet, so again, that's known as speculative theology. In the actual declaration of the Assumption of Our Lady, as declared by Pope Pius XII in 1950, uh, this was never brought out. So it was never mentioned in the actual dogmatic pronunciation that Our Lady either fell asleep or died. Just the fact that indeed she was risen body and soul into heaven by the power of God. Mm -hmm. So nonetheless, for about a thousand years or so, it was called the, the Dormition or the Sleep of Our Lady. It's a beautiful symbolism there, but you can imagine the different arguments in speculative theology. Mm. Yes. So why, Father, did it take so long for Pope Pius XII and the whole church, actually, to pronounce this as a dogma of the church? Well, we have to remember that when a dogma is pronounced by the church, it's only in order to defend a particular truth of the church. The dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was the last declared dogma almost 100 years before, in 1858, when, our, when in 1854, when the Immaculate Conception was, de, was defined, it was only because that particular dogma was coming under attack by the enemies of the church. And then over those hundred years or so, Rome was getting pressured, so to speak, by a, a lot of the faithful asking for the definition of the Assumption of Our Lady. And when that particular doctrine either fell, either fell into disbelief or was being attacked, only de, then did Holy Mother of the Church decide to defend herself and declare that dogma. But it was always believed by Catholics ever since the early days of the church that Our Lady assumed body and soul into heaven. So Father Rizzo, how as Catholics can we use this feast and Marian theology in an apologetic way, bringing our separated brothers and sisters back to the church? You know, it's interesting. A lot of our separated brethren uh, would really just use sacred scripture as the source of revelation. They fail to realize that it's not just the written word, but also the spoken word in which God revealed himself to mankind. So one is called the written tradition, sacred scripture. The other is called oral tradition, or what is called sacred tradition, meaning to pass on down. 
But if you were to look at the scriptures, particularly the first few chapters of the Gospel of St. Luke, one would find quite a few references to Our Lady, especially the occasion of the Annunciation when the Archangel Gabriel came and asked Our Lady to become the Mother of God. In fact, the first part of the Hail Mary, as you know, is found in the Gospel of St. Luke when Our Lady was greeted by the Archangel Gabriel. That's why that particular prayer is called the Angelic Salutation. So I would tend to think that starting off using this scriptural reference to a non-Catholic, maybe from there you can build on to the idea that of course Our Lady is truly scriptural, and then go on from there saying that Our Lady is the Mother of God. There's references in the Old Testament, particularly in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, so right away in reference in terms of how she would crush the head of the serpent with her heel. Already the idea of of the mother of a savior, the mother of a redeemer coming as well to bring about our redemption. So Mary in apologetics, I would start there in terms of Luke, you know, the gospel of St. Luke. As you know, the term apologetics is a Greek word meaning defend or the defense of the church. Certainly Our Lady would be there by our side wanting to defend the church. So stay with the gospel of St. Luke for starters when it comes to looking at Our Lady in scripture because again, they will want to use a scripture-based argument And then from there, you can also consider the visitation. That's also mentioned in the second chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. And of course, her beautiful prayer, the Magnificat. So there are some quite a few beautiful Marian references. Our Lady, in her humility, though, remains rather obscure. She doesn't want the attention that she wants her son to receive. Father Rizzo then gave us three tips on how we can all benefit from the fruit of the Assumption. Well, I think through the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, for one thing, I consider the Assumption of Our Lady to be like the fruition of the Immaculate Conception, that Our Lady accomplished everything on earth in terms of suffering and union with her Son to help bring about our redemption. Now again, tainted? Never. She was never tainted with the stain of original sin, and in order to make sure of that, her body wouldn't touch the soil of the earth, where one day we will return. So Our Lady simply went right to heaven. And so when we consider in a very practical application the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady, we want the same thing. We don't want our bodies and our soul to be soiled by the things of this world. We want to live in this world in a spirit of detachment. So I think one particular aspect of the Assumption in a very practical way is that we do our best to be detached from the things of this world. Secondly, the words of St. Alphonsus, a child of Mary is never lost. And when we consider those consoling words, if we do our best to imitate the virtues of Our Lady, particularly the love of purity and thought, word, and deed, we will not have to fear our salvation. So I think that would be the second thing, because the assumption in union with the American conception, again, would remind us of detesting all things unclean that would defile either the body or the soul or both. Then thirdly, when it comes to the Assumption of Our Lady, I think when we consider this great feast, when we consider it in the fourth glorious mystery, we're asking in that particular decade the intention of wanting to die a holy death. So whenever we do pray the glorious mysteries of the rosary and come across the fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption of Our Lady, that we pray for that. We pray for the grace of final perseverance. We pray for the graces of a holy death. So those three things, I think, would be wonderful ways of deepening our faith in our Lord and his Holy Mother. This program has been brought to you by Colby Communications in association with RadioSOS.net.